listening to one of the songs that we just sang, it was exactly what I meant to speak. I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Thank you. And at the time of crucifixion, when Jesus hung on the cross, his body was beaten, his body was broken, his body was wounded, and as he hung on the cross, we can only imagine the pain, the suffering that he was going through. And with time, as his wounds got deeper, his pain increased. And the Bible describes the men that were right under Jesus' nose. And it describes them as having the time of their lives laughing at Jesus, entertaining themselves while watching Jesus suffer on that cross. The Bible describes them as throwing insults and having jokes said and laughing at Jesus. And as I was reading the Message Bible, I was just imagining the scene and picturing how it could have been. As I read that there were these ringmen who were making faces at Jesus. And here was Jesus groaning in pain and agony. You can only imagine tears streaming down his wounded face. You can only imagine the pain that he was going through. And here there were these men making faces at Jesus. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt at that point? Looking at those very faces and thinking, it is for that face that I'm suffering. It is that for, for that very face that I'm dying. It is for that very cold heart that I'm shedding every drop of my blood. It is for that very insensitive heart that Jesus was dying. And he still took the pain, gave every drop of his blood, and he died on that cross. And I don't know what happened to these men post-resurrection. I don't know if some of these men turned their hearts to Jesus, opened their hearts and their lives to Jesus. And if only they did, and one of these men, the very same man that made faces to Jesus, one day went up to heaven, came face to face with the Son of God. The same face coming face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If I were in that place, I probably would just want to make faces and say, just kidding. But my Jesus is agape love. His unconditional love, unchanging love, everlasting love, untainted love, relentless love. And when this very face, the same face that made faces at Jesus when he was dying, came face to face with Jesus himself, the Son of God, he would have ran with arms stretched wide and say, Son, I died for you. Son, I love you. He would just go and embrace him. The millions of people around the world talking about love, speaking love, writing love, singing love, expressing love. But the Bible says that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. If only you know Jesus, you know love.
I grew up in a family that showered immense love upon me. My family preached love, practiced love, spoke love, and spread love. And the only reason being that they knew Jesus and they knew love. I grew up in a land that is divided in so many ways. You name it and we're divided by that. Be it class or caste, color or religion or ethnicity, we're just divided. But in such a land, I grew up in a community of love. It is because that community knew Jesus and they knew love. It's nothing but my church. I've seen my church being a home, being a refuge, being the shelter, being a place of comfort for hundreds of people. I've grown up seeing hundreds of lives being changed. I've seen the before and after Jesus of their lives. I've seen the turning point of their lives, regardless of who they were, what they had done, what their background was, where they were headed, regardless of any of that, I've seen their lives change. And that was when they had Jesus into their hearts and their lives, when they had his love in their hearts. I gave my life to Jesus at a very young age in a Good Friday service. And now I know that no matter who I am, no matter what I do, no matter who loves me, no matter who loves me not, no matter who approves of me, no matter who rejects me, no matter how many times I fall, how I rise, no matter where I go, no matter who stands by my side, no matter where I am, no matter how many times I let God down, no matter how many times I doubt his love, I know that every second of my life that I'm loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's the very reason that I have my head held high no matter where I am. And someday, when I go to, up to heaven, when I see Jesus face to face, he's going to come with arms stretched wide and say, baby girl, come on in. And that is love. And that's the only love. And there's no love that can match that. Just like the song goes, if coal can turn to diamonds and sand can turn to pearls, if a worm can turn into a butterfly, then love can turn the world. It's no other love, but the love that divided history into two, but the love that split the temple curtain into two. The love that reconciled man to God. It is that only love that can change the world. And if that love is in your heart, it can turn your world around. If that love is in you, you can turn the world around. And that is my desire, that whoever knows me knows Jesus, and whoever knows Jesus knows love. Jesus to me is love, and Jesus to me is my first love. Thank you. Wow. What an incredible, strong story that is. So Jesus is love. And what, how beautifully put. Thank you, Leah, for that. Next up, we've got Jane going to share who Jesus is to her. Okay, I'm the ish that Rachel mentioned. 
And that was an amazing testimony. Oh, my word. How can I follow that? Look at me. I've got my notes because I haven't got the courage to just go and free will. So here we go. I used to think that I was, because I was brought up in England, a Christian country by a Catholic family, that made me a Christian. My parents took me and my three siblings to church on Sundays where we stood up, sat down, knelt down, sang hymns, and prayed the same prayers each week, reading them parrot fashion. The sermons were about five minutes long. I don't remember learning anything about God's love for me or the importance of Jesus and how his death was the sacrifice that cleanses me of my sins or that he came back to life and left us with the Holy Spirit. But I do remember that we always prayed the Hail Mary prayer. And one thing I remember about teaching was that I was prepared for the Holy Communion, the first Holy Communion, where the subject that was taught was purgatory. I was told that this was the place between heaven and hell where people would go when they die um, if they're not good enough for heaven or bad enough for hell. When I was 10, my parents separated. Although this rocked our world, um, we had little support to help us understand what was going on. My mum's faith has always been very private and I didn't see it helping her. At 16, I told my mum that I didn't want to go to church anymore. She asked me why, and I told her because it was boring. I asked her why she went, and she said it is a good routine. It was another 17 years before I finally met Jesus. I spent all that time searching for love in romantic relationships and searching for God, initially through going to church and Christian Union with a friend. But I found the minister at the Baptist church really scary as he pounded the lectern to emphasize his points. My spiritual search then took a different path, including yoga, crystals, astrology, tai chi, spiritual healing, you name it. I probably tried it until eventually, at the age of 30, I decided to go and teach English in Japan and thought that I'd also find God through in the East. A big part of my life in Japan was the martial art Aikido, but I met and fell in love with a Muslim man from Indonesia there who caused my world to be rocked again when he asked me to be his second wife. (laughs) I didn't marry him, by the way. This time, I had support around me, and I sought the advice of a Catholic nun. She was from France, and she was in my Japanese class. She listened well. She was very non-judgmental. She prayed for me. She gave me a Bible. Through reading that Bible, I got to know Jesus for the first time. I started to pray that God would show me what it was to live life as a Christian, and I told him I didn't want to go to church. Well, at that same time, I also applied to spend a week living with a Japanese family as I wanted to improve my Japanese Two months later, I was matched with a family who, when I got off the train to meet them, announced they were Christians, and with it being Sunday, would now take me to church with them. The church turned out to be a school, and the family turned out to be born-again believers, who each individually shared their testimonies with me. Thankfully, the dad spoke English really well. 
he was an English teacher and an elder of the church, and he was able to explain to me what Jesus had done for me on the cross, and I finally understood what it was to be born again. That night, alone on my futon, (laughs) I felt Jesus' presence in the room I was staying in, and as I invited him into my life, I experienced what seemed like rays of light entering into me from above. I was a different person the next day and haven't looked back since. Jesus has become my light and my salvation, my rock, my joy, my teacher, my peace, my friend, and my provider. He fills the aching God-shaped hole in my heart. He makes my path straight. He's given me my loving and God-fearing husband, Rob, who has a strong faith and is a great example to me. He's kept me strong through turbulent times, especially surrounding the care of my mum, who is now blind and has dementia, during which all of my siblings and their families have turned their backs on me. I don't know what I would do without Jesus. Like he said in John 16:33, in this world we will have trouble, but we're to take heart for he has overcome the world. I have learned that the more I seek his face and the more I rejoice in him, the more he talks to me through his word, through others, and through situations. Gone is the lost Jane, the pick and mix Jane, the woe is me Jane. Because of Jesus, I'm alive, I'm found, I'm joyful, and my feet are on solid ground. And yet I know there is so much more. That's why I'm really excited about the adventure that Jesus is taking us on as a church. He's already told me... um, He told me at the end of last year that he's taking me on an adventure. I was spending some time journaling his answer to a question I asked him. And he also told me he's allowed the stripping away of my family and the removal of people from pedestals in my life so that he can be more central. He longs for our eyes to search for him and our hearts to yearn for him and him only He asked me to consider how the deeper I go in my study of the word, the more he reveals himself to me. He told me that he had given me that desire to go deeper, and the deep calls out to deep. He told me how pleased he is that Rob and I have answered the call to start a connect group. He said he's doing a new thing, and he could see it, knew that I could see it bubbling up in the desert. If you invite Jesus into your life, he'll come and transform it. If you ask a question of him, he'll answer and reveal more of himself to you. The more you seek him, the more you'll find him. And the more we share what he teaches us individually, the more we'll grow as a body of Christ here at Riverside. And the better we'll be able to impact the world around us with his love, forgiveness and mercy. I'm excited to be on this adventure with each and every one of you. Now, I was going to finish there, (laughs) but when I timed this at home myself, I had three minutes left. Is that right? So if you don't mind, I'll share a bit more and take the most of my allotted 10 minutes. (laughs) I have the awesome privilege of working for the YMCA, getting alongside some of the most broken hurting and chaotic people in this city. 
The job club project I'm responsible for has come to the end of its funding and we're trying to take it in a new direction. And it's right out of my comfort zone like this is. Focusing on the 16 to 30 year old age group, primarily our residents, and on getting them into work experience, social enterprises, and businesses of their own. At the beginning of the year, I was seriously thinking that my time at the YMCA was over and someone else with all the relevant entrepreneurial vision and experience would take over. But then Rachel Hickson goes and prophesizes over me. <laughs> she saw me riding a horse and getting places way more quickly than I had gone to date. And in the last couple of weeks, that horse has made its appearance in the form of exciting new partnerships, along with training and a new project run by a non-faith-based organization called Unlocking the Next Economy. This is about identifying underused churches and helping them become involved in community economic development. In discussion with the young guys running this project, I've been saying churches aren't just resources in terms of buildings. They're phenomenal resources in terms of people. People like Mark Field, who employed one of our residents and went to the extraordinary lengths to support this drug-addicted, sex-crazed young man to, to make it work. Now, four years later, this young man is a fully qualified carpenter, promoted to supervisor, and best of all, a born-again Christian. But then, what I didn't say, and what Jesus has convicted me ab about most recently, is that what these non-faith-based guys don't realize is that they're playing with fire. Fire that will break out and transform this city if Jesus gets free reign to do it his way. I would love um, it if any of you Holy Spirit fired up people would like to join me in this initiative. We need employers like Mark and those who will pray or come along to share their ideas and their love and to roll up sleeves and serve. To God be the glory. Amen. Do you know what I love about Jesus? He meets us just where we're at and when we need him most. And Jane works with a lot of people who are needing Jesus and we know he can meet them just where they're at. So, so do pray about that and see if you can be part of what's going on there because, you know, God has got great things for this city. Okay, we're, we're handing lastly over to Josh and um, Josh in his own sort of unique way is going to share his message. <laughs> I know what's coming. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that doesn't, you don't need that height thing, you know. not quite sure what that means, my own unique way. Um, I have to peek you at the moment. So uh, I was at PJ Clay's birthday yesterday, and uh, I was talking about accountancy with Richard Boswell, so it must be that. It just sort of just wore, wore, it wore, wore me out. But uh, the guys, like, first two, they smashed it, didn't they? They absolutely smashed it out of the park, and then I'll leave here on the graveyard session when... Sort of, uh, if, if the, if, if it, I know that this is starts, your attention may be waning by the time I get about halfway through. So if somebody next to you is starting to nod off, you have my permission to just to poke him and sort of say, look, come on, look, make him feel good about himself. Pretend like you're having a good time, come on. What does Jesus, what does Jesus mean to me? What a question. What a question. What a great question. What a big question. 
But what a great question. I love the depiction that Leah gave of Jesus' love. And you know, for me, that's kind of similar as well. It's just this idea of love. You know, Jesus is, sorry, squeaking again. Jesus is, I'm going to keep it as low as possible because then it's, uh, it's a little bit better. But Jesus in, his, in everything that he does is love. You know, in everything that he says, in everything that, that he is. And just, I found that in my experience of walking with Jesus. You know, he just loves. He just loves. You know, I love the person that I am when I'm around Jesus. You know, when I'm spending time with Jesus, I love who I am. I'm seeing myself in, a, in, a, in, the, in the light of who Jesus sees me and understands something more about who I am. You know, and so it's sometimes even in the discipline and correction, you know, that's the hard stuff, you know. But Jesus is so loving. He's always loving. I love that about him. And you, feel, you know, sometimes I think as humans, we give a limitation on this word love. You know, we, we have these boundaries we put around it as to how we define it. And, and, we, do, and we kind of go, oh, you go to a friend's house, you go, I love your new door, Matt. Like, that's love. Or, you know? Or, I, lo- I love your shoes. I wonder if Jesus goes, that's not, that's not quite the love I, you know, I've got for you. It's so, much, it's so much bigger. Jesus' love is radical. It's ridiculously radical. It's so much different than you will find anywhere else in the world. I love Jane's story about she's saying, sort of, I looked around and couldn't find it. You won't find it other than Jesus. It's radical. But it's only found in Jesus first. You know John 3.16, the most famous scripture probably in the Bible. It says, for God loved the world. No, it doesn't. For God so loved the world. Radical. Radical. It's that extra, extra. I don't think I'll ever understand even 50% of how much Jesus loves me. This is, this is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the ruler of all things. And he comes as a person to wash the dirtiest of feet. You know, he comes to wash the dirtiest of feet. And he doesn't even stop there, because that would be cool. He washes people's feet, and he? He's the king of kings. But then he takes it to the cross. And instead of just washing the external element of us, he says, that's not enough. You're, you're dirty. Your sin gets in the way. I'm going to clean you all up. I'm going to clean you all up. You know, this is the king of kings. Remember this in mind all the time. This is the king of kings died for you. And it doesn't stop there. Three days later, death isn't, death isn't big enough. You know, Jesus doesn't just come to take away your death this morning. He comes to breathe life in again. You know what that's, the story of the empty tomb is? Is that death is done, finished. But there's life ahead. There's life ahead. What does Jesus mean to me? He's the one who loves me. Radically, dramatically, ridiculously. You know, he's, he's the one who just loves everything about me. But more than that, he's my righteousness. You know, he's made me right in the sight of God. Which is pretty, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Us. Broken. Dirty. Disgusting. That's just a feat. The rest of us as well. You know, he knows everything I've done wrong and he still chose to make me right. I'm an accountant, I'm trained, uh, trained to be an accountant. I spend a lot of time uh, looking through sort of debtors and creditors. And creditors are the people that you owe money to, debtors the people that owe money to you. You know, and actually sometimes what I find is, if, if, I'm going to go a little bit of accountancy. So if you're a bit, if you're a bit of a, like a finance nerd, you might enjoy this. There's, there's two approach, you've got two statements in your accounts, basically, the important ones. You've got your profit and loss, your income and expenditure, and you've got your balance sheet, which is your assets and liabilities. 
you know. If our, our balance sheet looks like this, it looks like loads of liabilities. So many liabilities you can't pay. You know when you've got more, and a company's got more liabilities and assets, it's insolvent, can't pay its debts. We are that. We can't pay our debts. I don't know what, your, what, you, what some of your sort of sins, all your sins amount to sort of different debts. Some of mine might be pride, fear, insecurity. Yours might be addiction. I don't know, immorality. But you know what Jesus does? He balances your books. You know, he balances your books, zeros them, done. How cool is that? The king of kings. Um, kind of in, in the courtroom, in the, in the courtroom, and, 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 and you kind of, you've kind of got God as the judge, you've got, you've got Jesus and you, and you're stood there. And God's just reading out all these sort of, this list of, of um, sort of stuff we've got wrong. There's a long list. And Jesus says, I've paid for that. I've paid for that. I've paid for that. And he pays for every single one of our sins. And you know, there's a next stage to this. There's a next stage because the judge says at the end of all that, he says, he looks in your eyes and he says, because of what Jesus has done, you're free. You know, Jesus is the one who loves me. First, Jesus is love. Everything's rooted out of that. He makes me right because of how much he loves me. But then there's that freedom that he brings. You know what's Jesus to me? He's love, he's righteousness, he's freedom to go and do something about it. I want to tell you a story, uh, if I may, and it's a story I told um, sort of some of my youth on Friday night, so I apologise, guys in the front two rows. Um, but it's about the story of Terence the Eagle. And uh, Terence, you've got to, we've got to go right back to the start of Terence's life to kind of get going. So Terence is, uh, obviously, he's, he's, in, he's in his shell, that's where he starts. Eagles obviously typically have the nests on the sort of side of mountains and stuff. And he's, got, he's kind of got his nest there. And he's a bit boisterous inside his egg, and he's kind of like sort of jiggling around and giving it. And he kind of falls out of his nest down the side of this mountain. There's more to the story. And, he, and at, at the bottom of the mountain, there's a, there's a road. And the, on the road, there's this farmer, and he's driving, his, he's driving his, kind of his tractor. And on the back, he's got a sort of trailer full of bales of hay. And Terence lands in the bales of hay safely. It's all good. And the farmer gets back to his farm. We'll call him Giles. And, he, uh, and, he, and he's unloading the bells of hay at the back of his trailer. And he finds Terence in his egg form still. And this farm, he keeps turkeys. You know, he keeps turkeys. And so what he does is he puts, he, puts the, he, puts Terence, he puts Terence in with his turkeys. And as far as Terence is, com- is concerned, he's just raised a turkey. He spends all his time around turkeys. He's wandering around. He's gobbling. I, I don't know if my voice will try a gobble. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it that high. It, it went all right. You know, he's doing that. He's doing that all the... Is that what turkeys do? So, something like that. You know, and, and as, but the thing about Terence is he always knows there's something more because he looks around and he's not this, quite the same as the other turkeys. You know, you can see... He, 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 there's no, t- turkeys don't typically have mirrors, I don't think. But, but, but he can see enough of himself to understand that he's not quite the same as the other turkeys around. And, he, and, he, and then one day, he's out kind of out in the yard, and they're pecking away at their food and stuff. And he sees an eagle fly past over the top of him. And he goes, oh. And Terence has always wondered, there must be something more. Is this all I'm designed for, just to peck at food, gobble and move my head around a bit weird? And actually, the next day, the eagle flies again. And this time, Terence does what only he knows. He gobbles. Gobble, 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 gobble. Really loud. 
The eagle hears him, comes down. And he begins to tell him who Terence really is. Because, you know, this eagle, he comes down, he's, he's saying, look, he do, I don't know if he's, he doesn't know his name's Terence at the time. Look, Terence, after conversations, they, they become friends. Terence, you're not designed to be a turkey. You're not designed to be an eagle, you know? You're not designed just to, just to stay around. You're designed for so much more to soar. There's that, there's that freedom element. We live our lives so often like Terence the turkey, but Terence wasn't a turkey. If he was a turkey, that would have already been... He was not never designed to be a turkey. Sorry, he's going higher. <laughs> I'm going to keep it low. But, you know, he was designed to soar and fly. And, you know, only when he's flying around, after he's been taught to fly, he realizes his true purpose of who he is. Jesus does that for us. He gives us that free. And I was listening to um, an interview um, and between two Christian pastors. And I've, kind of, I've been around church a little while. Um, and so I, you kind of hear, you kind of hear, and the interv- interviewer was asking these good, solid Christian questions. And the interviewee was giving, I don't know if interview is that word, he was giving the correct sort of answers that you kind of go, oh yeah, Christian buzzword, bingo, was on the guards going, yep, take that off. And he kind of, and then, then, then the interviewer asked this question, he says, look, I, see, I, know, I've, I know you, one thing that strikes me about yourself is this, just this, this humble confidence that you always walk around, How, where's that from? And this guy goes, he goes, oh, it's from my, it's simple really, my identity's in Christ. And I go, Christian buzzword, bingo, yep, no, it's great, but it's kind of and then he says this, and he says, you know, I've journeyed with Jesus a long time. And I, on my journey, I've understood this, that I'll never be more righteous than the day I accepted Jesus into my heart. But I can be more free. You know, you'll never be more righteous if you've accepted Jesus into your heart than right now when you're sat in this seat. Because Jesus has paid every debt for you. But I want to ask you this morning, how free are you? How free are you? Are you Terence the turkey? Were you Terence the eagle? Terence the turkey was only was, was limited because he didn't know he could fly. Jesus he enables you the freedom. He gives he paid the price. That not just that you could sort of take all the way the sin. He doesn't just take the death, but he says, Look, there's life. That's why he comes back again. And he's alive now. You know, Jesus said these sort of these things. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then he says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Are you in free indeed this morning? And I'll, I'll leave you with it. I just want to ask you, are you a turkey or an eagle? 